Welcome to the Coaching Podcast, coaching for success in sport and business. Your host is Emma Doyle, the energy and high performance under pressure coach who is a world leader in unleashing human potential. Buckle up for this high octane session. Let them have it, coach. G'day, everybody, and welcome to the Coaching Podcast. My name's Emma Doyle, and I'm here with the brilliant Dr. J, the champion of brilliance. She's an educator, entrepreneur, optimist, achievement accelerator, and most importantly, she's a proud mum, inspiring individuals to build brilliance in their lives, to live with confidence, compassion, and courage. I mean, who wouldn't want that? Uh, Dr. J, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Emma. I feel truly honored. Well, right back at you. We met recently at a conference for human resource managers, and we connected on a number of levels. Uh, bring the joy. Oh, oh, bring the joy. I love that little uh, way of um, engaging the audience. So many little cool tips and tricks that uh, I can't wait to share with the podcast. I had to have you on. So we'll, we'll jump straight into it. The first question is the Vegemite question. The Australian spread, you either love it or you strongly dislike it. Have you tried it? What's your take? I have not tried it. So whenever I, whenever I heard that on your previous episodes, I had to Google it. And since I bartended at a brewery to put myself through college, I would say all in. I mean, it's a thick, brown, shiny paste made from brewer's yeast. Yes. I just say yes. <laughs> you had me at Brewer, so I'm not sure what it is, but I'm always willing to try new things and I love people and culture. So I'm going to go with yes on Vegemite, even though I've never seen it or tasted it. I love that. Well, when you do, uh, my best tip is just to dab it on the piece of toast. A lot of people like spread it so yeah, thick. Spread it. No, you don't. You definitely don't want to spread it on thick. It, it is it is an acquired taste, but because you answered that way, our follow-up question, I'd love for you to share with us a coaching moment that went really well and what might be some of the lessons. Oh, there's so many great coaching moments. It is my all-time favorite thing to do. I love teaching, but I also love coaching. And I think in moments, um, this actually happened just last week, this woman um, a powerhouse leader. And I just love moments when someone who is a rock star is struggling because it reminds us we are all human and struggle is an inherent part of being human and living in this world. And there's so many tools and strategies we can deploy almost to an overwhelming analysis paralysis amount if you love to overthink like I do. Um, but I think being able to put an individual back in the driver's seat and help them recognize a, a moment in time when they were their best and when they were on their A game, when they were winning on all the dimensions and had that moment of exhilaration in their life and ask what they were doing then and then pull that moment and that sense of their identity to the current challenge. It's almost like a whole new way of seeing that challenge comes out. Like you get stuck and you can't see a way out and all of a sudden going back in time to a celebratory moment, not like in therapy, coaching and therapy are very different. I like coaching because we're future focused and challenge oriented. I don't want to go back in the past and dig things up. Ooh, that's pretty and cool. So, <laughs> especially things that deserve to stay buried. Yeah. Um, but she was able to really see these moments where she had been extraordinary and then her lessons learned and just translate that for herself. That's when I'm at, a, at my best as a coach, I'm recognizing that I'm not 
telling them what to do. I'm really helping them see things that are already within them and pull that greatness, or as I like to call it, brilliance out, right? I'm a big believer. We all have brilliance inside and there are ways that we can reveal that through experimentation and accelerate our achievement towards whatever goal it is we're trying to achieve. Yeah, already off to a cracking start, as we would say, down under. Uh, And I just want to also pick up on something that you said off air that I want our listeners to really be in tune with already, which is wrapping words. You know, you are a master, honestly, Dr. J, of giving language in a really simplistic way to things like identity that I loved Mm -hmm. uh, from your presentation. So I'm just throwing that out there for our audience, really like, yeah, just pick up already on some of the things that you're drawing out in in your clients. What about on the flip side? What about a, a coaching moment that didn't go well? What might be some of the lessons? Oh, those are hard moments. Usually I, I feel at my worst as a coach when I know I need to ask a hard question and I know it's not going to be easy and I know that they don't want to answer it and I know it's not going to be fun. I love bring the joy is kind of my mantra, right? So when it's not joyful, I'm like, oh, this is not going to be fun. Yet it's sometimes um, those moments where we can sit in discomfort. I like to call it deliberate discomfort. And when we're in a deliberately discomfort, disc, that's not a right way to say it. When we're in a dis, in an uncomfortable place and we put ourselves deliberately there, um, we can courageously ask the hard questions. Um, this particular moment, I was working with an engineer and he was very like one-stop shop. Every answer was very succinct and focused. And I knew I had to start courageously asking some of the deeper questions that we both really wanted to avoid. Yet in answering that, I think there's something beautiful that happens where we can be our real self. And the things that we, when we talk about identity, right, there's parts of ourselves. I often, I'm a mathematician at heart. So I think normal distribution curve. I know not everyone wakes up thinking about that, but if you were to kind of, for those of you listening, draw that in your mind or sketch it in your journal as you're listening and taking notes on what you want to remember. And in the middle, think of who you are the majority of the time, right? Normal you. And then think of your, if you were to go on the far right, your top 2%, that version of yourself. And then we also on the downside have the worst version of myself, right? So for me, my worst version of myself wants pizza and wine or margaritas and green chili smothered burritos. Yet those things don't leave me feeling vibrant, joyful, energized. And so I have to dial up onto the 1% side. And so as a coach, sometimes I think we do have to ask the worst sided questions and dive into that space because we know then that helps us move closer to the norm. And my big passion, shift what is normal to the right, right? Shift it over into the top 2%, 5%, 10%. What do the world's highest achievers do and how do they do it differently? Mm-hmm. And the more that we can experiment and live into that side of ourselves, the better off we are as human beings. And so I think being willing to ask those hard questions and and just gently say, hey, this is a tough one and it's gonna be uncomfortable and that's okay because it's in the discomfort where we learn the most. Yeah, and I also have a lot of success in asking for permission first. Mm -hmm. Those those 
high achieving people, they want that question. Yes. Once you say, do you mind if I go there? They always say, come on, I'm ready. Bring yeah. And it's funny, we're wired for challenge, yet we forget it, right? We forget yeah. that we want to be challenged. When something hard happens, I often find myself going, thank you, God. I need a challenge when even I'm a big Peloton fan, when Peloton announces a new challenge, I'm like, game on. It's like a whole new side of yourself comes out when we're chasing the challenge. And so I love that. Yeah. Just inviting and and asking for permission. Hey, can we go there? Yeah. And surely pizza and wine's okay in moderation. (laughs) Yes, exactly. It is definitely. I just don't do moderation well. (laughs) one slice of pizza and one glass of wine is no problem but I want like half or whole pizza and a bottle (laughs) oh I love it I love it having having fun already on the podcast all right the next question is our sliding doors question so you know when your life's heading one way something happens someone I know already you've had many throughout your life but is there one or two that jumps out that you could share with our audience Yeah. Coming back to this theme of deliberate discomfort, I think sliding door moments are those moments, right? They're scary. Um, For me, I love teaching. I I graduated high school a year early and wasn't sure what I was going to do with my life. And it's part of why I'm so passionate about Life Design Lab and building brilliance because a lot of us get lost. And what do I do with my life? I don't know what my purpose is. How do I find meaning fulfillment, which leads to joy? And um, I love helping people on that journey. So for me, it was graduating early and not knowing what to do in college. I thought, well, I'm good at math. I'll be a business major with a focus on accounting and finance. I can't bless all of you accounting and finance people, but that for me was not a fit. The first balance sheet was like, yes, I got it right. The second, third, eighth, 10th, 12th, I was like, again, I can't picture a career doing this over and over. And so I fell in love with neuroscience and how the brain learns. And that led me into education. And education is a lot like prison. Um, you look at schools, they, they have a strong physical resemblance. Um, and you get trapped in the systems and structures that keep you there, mm-hmm. right? Things like your retirement pension and even little things like... Um, the salary structure, they would, if you transfer districts, they'll only give you credit for X number of years experience. And in education, you don't negotiate your worth in the marketplace. You don't do a fair market analysis of your skills and talents and the value and ROI you're going to bring to the organization. It's a simple Excel spreadsheet with degrees taught or degrees held and years taught, which is why I started collecting degrees. It was the only variable I could control. And uh, being someone who loves to control and plan, I thought, let's navigate that variable. And so I was was loving teaching. I'd been promoted into administrative roles and supporting the development of programs for gifted and talented youth. Instructional coaching was kind of my first real experiment with coaching, and it was focused more on instructional practice um, and relationship building with kids and families. And I just got a little tired of turning around schools, walking into a failing environment, helping turn it around. And I didn't even like the words, right? It was almost like a fix and flip of houses, but we're talking about humans. And um, so it it just didn't feel good in my heart and soul. And and I thought, I want to make my own school. I'd always had a dream of being a professor and creating my own school. And I'd achieved the professor role and thought, I wonder if right? And I think sometimes it's that what if 
those two words, um, there's a song by Matthew West that's my song of the year this year, and it's what if. And um, he doesn't want his life to end with those two words at the end of each sentence. And so I just invite those of you listening to ask yourself, what if, right? And think of your own sliding door moment as I share this story. So I thought, what if I left the system? The system I've spent over a decade in, the system I've got all my degrees in, that all my experience is wrapped in. And what if I left it? So I quit my job, which sounds crazy. I mean, I'm a planner. My mom's from England and you're very prim and proper and responsible was how I was raised. And so you don't just quit your job. And I didn't just quit. I had met some amazing individuals. One had founded the Children's Museum of Denver. One had founded Larimer Square and now what is the Crawford Hotel. And so God was just putting the right people in my path to help me do this. And then I met a real powerhouse woman who had created something called Kiddo. Kids in downtown Denver organized, and she had a large group of parents who wanted a school and a grocery store downtown. And that's when the fire started happening. And I realized I could probably safely exit responsibly. Taking responsible risks is one of my favorite habits of mind um, in scholarly research on how the best achieve success. And so I thought this is an opportunity. And so I left the classroom. I had no salary and no retirement for that first year of planning. I fundraised my own salary, found an, a fiscal agent to partner with to be able to afford those tax benefits to donors and, and write me a paycheck each month. So we did it the right way and dotting our I's and crossing our T's. Yet it was a real scary leap in terms of truly having faith in yourself and faith in things that are far more powerful than we can comprehend. And there's a magic that happens when you get outside of your comfort zone and you choose to rise. Mm. And that led to an entirely different career path that I would have never known that I love. Now I work in high, fast paced tech environments. I would have never thought that's where I'd end up. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you gotta chase the challenge and embrace the journey. Mm -hmm. I love that. So <laughs> many uh, just little pearls of wisdom already. Responsible risk, what if? Um, so good. Our next question is in one to a maximum of three words. What do you think makes a great coach? This one I'm going to say reveal their brilliance there. It's within each and every one of us. I spell J it's my initials and J E A. I tend to carry as my identity with joy, energy, and achievement. And so I like to be very outcomes focused, um, future focused and challenge oriented is how I roll as a coach. And so I think reveal their brilliance, helping them discover their edge. And that's really where your brilliance shines the brightest, yet it's where we're scared to go. And, and we live in a world that invites us to play small. When we choose to chase the challenge and sometimes we'll pivot into that sliding door moment where it's a little scary and we don't have all the answers. We don't even, it's kind of like, we've got a few pieces of a puzzle. We don't have an image. We don't have the edge pieces. We don't know what we're creating yet, but to really pivot into those other facets of our identities that get revealed amongst challenge. Mm -hmm. And I love that you're always saying, you know, that we are the author of our own life's story and revealing your brilliance is, uh, is all about writing your own chapter, isn't it? Um, yes. Yeah, I love that. It's one of your... Um, mottos that you live by all right our final official question before i get to go rogue dr j is where we ask you to ask us a question 
So what's mm. that one question that really sparks your curiosity? I guess one of the things I think about a lot, and this is really in the context of our lives right now, where there's this intersection of our personal life and professional life. And how do you, as a coach, help people blur those lines, right? Because often, if you're like me, you were taught, you leave your personal life at home, you bring your best self to work. And now we're living in a little bit of a different paradox where your whole self is at work. Sometimes your dog is at work, your kids are at work. All of these things are very interrelated. And I think um, as coaches, we have to help people explore the intersections and be more willing to bring their human self to work. And so I would love to hear any thoughts you have about helping people form their identity through coaching embracing both their personal and professional lives. Mm. It's that is something that has fascinated me since when I got out of tennis coaching altogether uh, in back in 2006, 2007, I was completely fascinated by what you just said. And I ended up just doing a, a program, does your personality match your game style? I started out in tennis mm. and it was even just the way that you show up in sport when you're under pressure, your character is revealed and who you show up as when you're in these high stress, which is the same as in the workplace, high pressure moments, does that re reflect the middle going back to your, to your curve earlier? Does that reflect, reflect who you are mm -hmm. like in most times, most often? And I've, been exploring this uh, you know and I only designed 18 questions it wasn't rocket science uh, but 70% of the time it was accurate so wow. if you uh, someone who plays the game uh, really aggressively really fast-paced you like you know you like to move quickly between points mm -hmm. that was how generally you were showing up in in life and uh, and not I'm not saying one's right or wrong as well right but I think it was really interesting for me to, to do my own research in this, in this area. And all the best decisions that I've ever made in my life, I've had alignment with my personality and with my personal life and with my career. So sorry to jump in and answer that question. Normally I don't answer that or I don't have a go at answering that question straight away. I, I let everyone ponder uh, but I just, I had to share, I thought that'd be interesting for our yeah. listeners uh, because it's something that's fascinated me for, for a long time. So, And a few things that really interest me about what you said is this notion of alignment and that there's not a right way because our more novice selves think there has to be a right way. And I know a lot of people right now are pivoting in their careers, right? And so when you're pivoting and you're insecure and imposter syndrome is striking strong, you start to ask yourself, I don't know what I'm doing. And you do, you lose that trust and faith in who you are. Mm. And you start to seek mentors outside of that. And we tend to emulate or role model or copy. Mm. Um, neurologists call it mirror neurons. We mirror those behaviors of those who we aspire to be like. Mm -hmm. Yet what I love that you said is there's a lot of right ways. And the best decisions you've ever made were when you were in alignment. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a, a time when you have to really look inward and say, what is the best of myself? Mm -hmm. And how do I pivot in ways that are aligned with that and not someone else's? Because there are more right ways than we think. Mm 
Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's about taking one or two things from that mentor and exploring them yourself and saying, does this work for me and who I am? Yes. Um, what? So let's go there. Let's. I'd love for you to share what you see as the difference between mentoring and coaching. And you know, you, you speak a lot about being a teacher. So how mm -hmm. did you go from being a teacher and a teacher mindset into a coach? Is there a difference? What do you see as the differences? So mentor, coach, teacher, coach. Mm -hmm. I think there's a big difference. Um, a mentor or a teacher typically has experience and a solution um, in mind. Whereas, and that's been my hardest transition into coaching is having to realize your role in it. When you're playing the coaching role, your job isn't to find, have the answer, right? And we've all had experience in school where we were really conditioned to having the correct answer, you know? And one of my favorite moments was whenever I would teach kids multiplication facts and we'd check their work and you'd be reading the answers, you know, 16, 12, 42, and you hear kids, yes, yes. Like we just are wired. We love to be right, right? And what I love about coaching is there, it's not just, yes, I got the correct answer. It's this exploration of blurry lines, even building brilliance, the, the atom used to be, I mean, it's founded on Newtonian physics and about getting in motion and exploring that edge for yourself. And the atom used to be crisp and clean and the color scheme was silver and navy. And that was back when I, I really loved meta-analysis and I thought there was quantitative evidence of ways we should be behaving. And then I had a child and realized life is blurry and man, you can't prepare enough for for those moments and so the atom became more creative and playful and the color became this kind of beautiful ocean tealish kind of blue and and that was kind of a shift for me in my own identity like you said looking to mentors and role models I started to realize the people I enjoyed the most had had pivoted they'd had sliding door moments they they had failed often and the way they talked about it wasn't critical it didn't beat themselves up it was like this beautiful, I, guess what I learned? And then they share it with others. And I thought, that's my tribe. Those are the people I want to play with. And so I think coaches play in that space of uncertainty. Mm. Whereas teachers and mentors, typically it's like, here's the best way to ride a bike. Step one, step two, step three. There's some things that where that's appropriate, right? Tying your shoes, for example. You wouldn't want to use constructivist learning theory to tie your shoes. There's a few strategies that really work. So why not give a kid a little bit of a head start instead of saying, here's a shoe practice, right? Like go on, they'd go on forever before figuring it out. Mm. And so I think there are moments um, in coaching where you say, can I share a lesson I've learned? And you might shift gears into a mentor or teaching moment and then draw it back and get into a coaching moment where you say, what does that make you think about in the context of your life? Mm. That way they're constructing the knowledge. So coaching is a lot like what John Dewey would call constructivist learning theory, that you're learning by doing. There's not a right answer all the time. Mm. And so that's what I love about coaching. It's far more interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, what a brilliant little technique. Can I share the lessons I've learned? It's like putting on the mentor hat, mm -hmm. taking off because I think sometimes especially on this podcast, you know, with my background in high performance tennis, a lot of our listeners are tennis coaches. Mm -hmm. So they have a body of knowledge and they're used to teaching mm -hmm. a stroke or teaching a tactic. And then there's the 
uh, the other half of the audience who are business coaches who, who uh, love this notion of unlocking the potential that lives within others. So my point is the, the, the balance between curiosity on one side, I'm deeply curious about unlocking the learning within the, within the coachee. And then on the other side, having the confidence to say, I know what I'm doing or and having the confidence to be able to pitch to a big company that you're a great coach. And if we think of the other side, right? If we were to take the coach and teacher mentor kind of analogy and say, what if that didn't matter? What if we looked at our customer or our client? They're a human being. They need both. There's times they're stuck, right? They've got the shoe and it's like, there's laces, but I don't know what to do with these laces. I don't even, I might have laces and not even know there's a shoe there that I'm supposed to tie them, right? And so there are times where our experience and expertise, um, I coach a lot of people in career shifts. They don't know what they want to do next. So if I just said, what do you imagine you'd like to do? They typically are like, right? they don't know. And so I'll share, do you mind if I share some pivot moments that others have made in their career? And I love sharing like Mick Ebling's story. Sometimes, you know, just people who I know, like Mick Ebling worked in television and production and then was fascinated by children who had had their limbs blown off in Rwanda and wanted to do something to help. How does a television producer turn into someone who helps develop prosthetic limbs? I find that insanely fascinating. Mm -hmm. The identity that he had to form to shift to an entirely different industry. Mm. And so coming back to unlocking that potential, that it is that brilliance within us that translates different scenarios. And sometimes we do have to help our clients say, you are human. There are times where you know the answer and a coach can really help you right? You might know what sport you want to play. You know, it's tennis. Well, what if you just know you're athletic? Like my daughter's father's a professional athlete and she's really athletic, but she didn't know what sport would be best for her. And so as a coach, we can kind of introduce options mm. and that's where we pop on that mentor hat, mm -hmm. share some expertise, and then go back into the coaching role and invite them to really process. What did mm. you learn from that? Yeah, yeah. I even had a, a wonderful situation um, recently with my niece where she wanted to change schools because mm -hmm. lo and behold, she's not like her older sister. So she learns differently. Fancy that. Yeah. Same parents, I think. No, just kidding. <laughs> but uh, we did a, a purpose matrix. You know, she had no idea what school she, so we listed it down some schools and then we just made some columns based on what was important to her, which was playing sport. She wanted a school that had a good sport, good academic. And, and we put the price in there as well, because it's good for her to know how mm -hmm. much these schools cost. Um, and all, and I'm telling this story too, because of your school background, it was an awesome process. We just did high, medium, low. Mm -hmm. and, and we, and then we gave high, medium, low, like three points, two points and one point. She added it up and she's like, I think I want to try this school and I would love it change schools and you know she made the decision and she was felt so empowered because you know her mum is uh my sister's a type a doctor and very driven and and so it was awesome rather than my sister sort of telling her daughter hey you need to go to this school 
yeah. open to the change, but directing this way when another opportunity came up. So uh, I just thought I'd I thought I'd share that too because also- I think it's a great teaching. She's teaching her how to think. Yes. Right. By creating the purpose matrix, she taught her how to evaluate and assign a rating. Yes. Yet then she flipped to coach yes. and said, now, what do you think? Yes. Well, what I, do you I, choose? I did it. Not my sister. My sister. Oh, okay. My sister <laughs> I have a decision-making matrix we'll have to geek out on later. It's very oh, similar. Awesome. Awesome. And I love what I love about either way of doing that for listeners is when you get stuck, we tend to dwell in the qualitative. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we can quantify our feelings and be able to put it and then have that aha, like, oh, I see why this decision feels better than that. Like I use the decision-making matrix with career options, with home buying, car buying, any big investment, stocks. I yeah. love doing stock market analysis with decision-making matrix, mm-hmm. you know, risk tolerance, mm-hmm. amount of money you need to earn. Um, sometimes I've even used it with dating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, here's all the men. Here's what I'm looking for. How do you Uh stack up? (laughs) No, and again, it's just a tool, isn't it? Um, Which which I love so many of your, uh, again, wrapping words and helping people with words. So speaking of which, uh, during your presentation, you had this wonderful exercise where you had us read out loud a sentence with a partner. So it was your name is one of the most powerful, respected and influential, insert your quality in the world. Could you share with us, I want to talk a little bit about identity and that tool, that sentence tool. Where did it come from? How did you create it? And uh, yeah, how could our audience of coaches use that with their clients? Oh my gosh, I love that. I was so not prepared for this, but I have goosebumps right now. Where it came from is probably an entirely different podcast, but I'll try to summarize in a couple sentences because coaches have likely been through this and their clients probably for sure have. I was being bullied professionally for the first time in my life and I didn't know what to do about it. And I knew I was right. And the scholarly researcher in me wanted to prove myself. And I realized I didn't have to prove myself. I didn't have to adopt her perspective of me and she had said the words educators are a dime a dozen you're easily replaceable and it hurt here I'd spent four degrees I it 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 hit me on I really value career and achievement and so it hit me at the core of what I'd worked so hard to achieve professionally and um And so I had to form a new identity. I was, her voice was replaying in my head too often, right? It would be my waking thought. It would be my bedside thought. It would be my in the shower thought, on the toilet thought, all the thoughts. And I was like, I cannot let this one toxic person define who I am. Mm. And so I call it my destination declaration. And you can create it or change it at any darn time. That's the best part because we are beings that are evolving and constantly in motion. That's the Newtonian physics geek out part of building brilliance, right? We are always in motion, always evolving. And so you can declare that destination whenever you want and refine and redefine your identity at any time. So that's how I used it and why why it came into the world for me. I think as coaches, anytime you feel someone um, really stuck or feeling 
Like, um, you know, it could be for tennis coaches. You have a client who's facing an opponent that they perceive is better than them, right? How do you shift their perception of themselves to equal or one up that opponent? Mm-hmm. And then in the business, in the business world, how do you help them form an identity that might be aligned with their promotion that they're seeking mm-hmm. or the contribution that they want to make? Uh, it requires, I always say, you can't bring your peewee playbook to the pros, right? <laughs> and so the destination declaration helps you up level from peewee. We need, le- this is my education geek out, Lev Vygotsky calls it the zone of proximal development, ZPD. For those of you who want another acronym in your book of life acronyms. So the zone of proximal development would teach us that we get better incrementally and usually through people who have just barely achieved more than us. Because if someone asks me about tying my shoes, I've forgotten how, right? I just do it so fast. I don't even think, oh, bunny ear, hold it really tight and pinch it together because otherwise it'll slip. You watch a kid who just learned to tie their shoes teach another child. They tell all the details. It's like a 20 minute thing. Whereas for us adults, we go bunny ear, bunny ear, loop it around and pull. And they're like, that didn't work because we left out a lot of critical details, right? And so that's a a simplistic example of the zone of proximal development. And so the destination declaration helps you incrementally improve within that zone so that you can, I mean, if I told you when you were in the peewees that you were gonna be NFL, you'd be like, what? You wouldn't know how to get there, right? You need incremental guidelines to help. And in those incremental jumps, new parts of our brilliance are revealed, new identities are formed. And so I think that destination declaration can help you get from point A to point Z and include B, C, D, E, F, and G along the way. So that's why it needs to constantly be changing and is a great coaching tool. Um, And often people don't see the best of themselves, especially high performers. We pay attention to the critic, Mm -hmm. right? Athletes pay attention to the opponent who is most likely to defeat them. Mm -hmm. And we spend so much time looking outward that we forget that our strength, to your point, alignment led to my best decisions, you said. Mm -hmm. And I wrote those words down alignment with who we are Mm. so we declare that destiny and we pull out who we are to achieve it Mm. Um, so it happens more inward I think a lot of the success um, we do like to look at our opponents and be prepared yet the best preparation happens within yeah and I think as coaches we so often see greatness in others we're so busy always seeing greatness in others it's easy for us to use the the uh, the declaration about the people that we're coaching but mm-hmm. it is important to, to remember that. And the other, the other little uh, story that I'd like to share that what, what you triggered for me in, in what you just said is in representing Australia at, on, a, on a world stage um, on 20 occasions over sort of a 10-year period, I only ever met two players, two players, where I had to say to them, you need to step up and win for Australia today. We we have to win this match. Like mm-hmm. if we don't win this match, you know, well, I, I would never say what we had. They knew, they knew we'd be relegated or we'd finish not finish in the in our group at number one or whatever it was. Two players, 98% of everyone that I've had ever worked with, 
at the at a high performance level and we're talking about juniors so forming when the brain is still formulating mm -hmm. it was exactly what you said the zone of proximal development it was can you just stretch today i just want mm -hmm. you to stretch one layer at a time often mm -hmm. on the practice court so that when we were on the game court we we played within ourselves to be able to get the result and be very process driven and I think the same goes in the workplace. The minute we try and jump ahead too quickly or, you know, you get thrown in the deep end, uh, yes, some people will swim, no problem. They'll say, yeah, throw me in the deep end every time. But the, when we stretch just layer by layer, I think it, it works, uh, it just seems to build the confidence in a way that's authentic and genuine. Um, so that's what that- I like to think of it for a workplace analogy. I think this is interesting. Um, I use DISC assessment a lot working with teams and personalities, and I have to constantly remind myself a D personality or dominant personality, they're fine. They'll go in and swim, right? Like, and I will find a, they're an influencer. They'll find a friend to go swim with them. So both of those two types, which I am, are capable and confident in jumping off and swimming. The type that I think it's about 70% of the world is an S type. And that type is the type I, it was initially taught to me as submissive. And um, there, there's a better word that starts with S that I would have to Google. <laughs> this is the moment when I wish I was teaching because I would just ask someone in the room to Google, there's another word, uh, steadfast, that's it, finally. I was like, oh, submissive people attach negative associations too. But what it means is they're not, they're just not eager to fight, right? steadfast, I think of the S personality type, I often use dog analogies, they're the golden retriever. They're loving, approachable, kind, yet they do not want to be thrown off the deep end, right? So with them, instead of, I'm an ocean girl, so instead of taking them to the end of the pier and saying, we're going to jump, I hold their hand at the shore and say, we're going to go for a swim and I'm beside you. And that's a coach's role, right? and you're easing in. So to your point of the zone of proximal development is just those little stretches, mm. right? Today, we're gonna get a little stretch. And I think the destination declaration helps you have a bigger vision. Mm. As a math expert, it, you'd be teaching some crazy thing related typically to algebra and kids would start to get lost and they'd be like, why does this matter? And so you have to situate it in, here's the bigger picture. Here's what we're learning now. Here's what you're going to learn in college. Here's how it's going to show up in your life. And then all of a sudden it matters more, right? So the little stretches when situated in the declaration matter more mm. and are more relevant. And we know our brains pay attention more when it's relevant and real than if it's something we can pay attention to and tune out later. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Fantastic. Uh, another tool that I loved that I'd love for you to share on the podcast uh, is inhale three words and exhale, be present. This importance of uh, setting your intention in the present moment, just so valuable for coaches, for our coaches, for our players. Uh, can you expand on that tool? And do you have a, do you have a wrapping word to what, what's that one called? <laughs> Yeah. So the, um, I, it's part of what I call a clarity chart in high performance coaching and the clarity chart, for those of you listening, get out your journal again, uh, three columns. So the first column is yourself. The second column is interactions. And the third column is your success markers. So the world's highest performers have incredible clarity on who they are, 
how they want to interact with others and what it has taken to be successful and will bring them success in the, those unknown challenges. So the three words really comes from that self column. How do you describe and define yourself? And recognizing, again, coming back to the theme of identity formation, that can change, right? And so when I first found my three words, it was vibrant, bold, and connected. Vibrant was my natural self, the self that my bully didn't want me to be. And so I fought for that word. And I, I sometimes would hide that. And um, I found that my best success actually came from being myself. And so that's my reminder to be myself, regardless of what someone else wants me to be. Bold is my stretch word. I'm not naturally bold. I have to condition that. And so sometimes you may choose a word that requires a stretch. I'm a big believer, though, in being human. And I will say, as you choose your words, my encouragement would be know when to be fierce and when to be gentle with yourself. Mm. I'm really good at being fierce. Those of you who are high performers are good at fierce. And sometimes grace and gentleness is what we do need. So sometimes you can change. For me, that second word changes. If I need to be gentle, I might choose um, calm. Like sometimes I need that word instead. And then my third word is connected. I feel best when I'm connected to others. And yet when times get tough, I become a hermit crab. I wanna go right into my comfort shell, maybe turn to some books. And I have to remind myself, to be my best, I need to be connected to others. So those are my three. They didn't come right to me like, oh God, please bring me three words to guide my success. Mm -hmm. I thought about them for a long time. I journaled about them, listed lots. Um, bold was almost courageous or brave, but bold, the definition encompassed those. So mm -hmm. Google around, look at dictionaries, just geek out with words for a little bit mm -hmm. and collect them. And then also know you may have words for different facets of your identity. So as a mom, my words are different than they are as a professional. Mm -hmm. And so, and that's because I, I don't want to be vibrant and bold to my daughter all the time. I want to be sometimes a great listener. Mm -hmm. um, and so you can shift the words based on the context of what you're working on mm -hmm. and then exhaling, be present. We all have technology alerts, everything tugging at our attention. And we have to be the ones, if we want to write our own story, we can't give away the pen, mm -hmm. right? And so this is your way to reclaim that authorship in mm -hmm. your life. And so I love the exhale reminder of being present and showing up as those three words. Mm, definitely. And then you would just finish the clarity chart with interactions with others. So what three words describe. And some days, if I have a tough day of meetings, for those of you who are in the business world or coaching business people, you know, there's a lot of days where you have a tough day of meetings. They're all back to back. They're all going to require the best of you. The heat's on. And we know by 3 p.m. it's not the best side showing up anymore, right? We have decision fatigue has hit. Our, our worst self is reaching for M&Ms and, um, and trying and caffeine, right? And fueling ourselves in ways that aren't always what's best. And so I like to spend just five to 10 minutes in the morning visualizing my day. And sometimes I'll actually put on my calendar one word for each meeting so that you're reminded of who you need to show up as in those meetings and being far more intentional with how you go about your day. Mm, and helps you just be present as I feel like I completely am with you in, you know, this time that we're spending together. I mean, talking, coaching, uh, 
as you mentioned earlier, it's it's this is like the one of the best parts of my day. Mm-hmm. So, um, so on that note, um, we are only because of time going to have to to wrap things up here. It's been an honor and a pleasure interviewing you today. Thank you for being you. Thank you, Emma. I just I loved meeting you and. I'm not going to lie, I I started sweating when you called my name out in that keynote and was like, I'm looking forward to Dr. J's session. I went, I better run to the speaker lounge and rehearse a little more. So it is truly my honor to be here with you. And for those of you listening, it is wonderful to virtually connect with you. And I just, we're all on the same journey, helping make the world a better place and reveal the brilliance that exists in each and every person that you meet. So go out and do that with joy. Great way to finish. Thank you so much, Dr. J. And thank you everyone for listening. The Coaching Podcast is sponsored by Transition Coach for Athletes, a global coaching, mentoring, and U.S. college sporting scholarship placement service. The service helps athletes navigate the often challenging world of choosing your best college fit while maximizing sports performance. Visit www.transitioncoachforathletes.com. That's the number four. If you or your company are interested in sponsoring the coaching podcast, reach out to info at emmadoyle.com.au. Clarity chart and a um, destination declaration, like destination declaration. I love words. I didn't know that about myself because I love math.